0: Why don't we begin? Report to everyone
1: please. We hope you enjoy. Let's make a now. This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer... <laughs> And movie podcast where that guy, Johnny Summers, laughs out of context because nobody knows what was happening before we started this episode.
2: You just, your voice just got so wholesome and just, hello. That's how I start,
1: man. I start here and then, and then we, uh, wherever we go, we go. But please introduce me so I feel
2: validated, please. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Max Bernardi, uh, co creator, uh, programmer extraordinaire. Together, we're your favorite podcast about movies and beer. You can find us on the internet at places. Like Instagram, Twitter, and Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema, Facebook, Fresh Hop Cinema Pod, Letterboxd at Max Minardi and at Johnny Summers. Our email is FHCCast at gmail.com in case you want to get involved. Uh, also, you can find us at freshhopsinema.com. That's our online official home. Uh, And Max, tell them a little bit more about Patreon, possibly the most important place they can find us.
1: Yeah, Patreon's great for a couple reasons. One, we can give you all sorts of bonus content if you sign up. What I was referencing when we started uh, is we had just finished recording our bonus content on Patreon. We do a sort of a bonus episode every single week where we'll do maybe uh, reviews of beers we don't cover on the show or movies perhaps, or sometimes like we just did, talk about all sorts of stuff like Reddit uh, subreddits and, uh, you know, won't even spoil it here, but the point is you can go to freshhopcinema.com slash, you can go to patreon.com slash freshhopcinema. You can donate a dollar, $2, $3 a week to our show. And there's all sorts of perks. It's uh it's a nice way to keep the show running. If that's something you care about on that note, one of our patrons had a birthday this week, uh, I believe on May 23rd. So shout out to Chris Gomez. Happy birthday, my man. Hope you're doing well in this quarantine and that uh, you got to celebrate in a way that made you happy.
2: Yeah. Happy birthday, Chris. Miss you, bud. Um,
1: anything else we want to talk about off the top, Johnny, before we dive into beers? No, that's all the 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 mumbo jumbo that we have to say. Let's get into the stuff we want to say. Perfect. So then I picked up a beer this week for the first time on my own. I was able to go out of the house and do this, Johnny, let me have the reins. And I picked up this beer that we agreed on. And it's a beer that we've both had before, but we've never covered on the show. It's from our old friends over at Secret Trail right here in Chico. And the beer that we are drinking today is called Green Gate. It's a New England IPA clocking in at 6.6%. It is on Untapped. It currently is holding a 4.1 out of 5 based on 152 individual ratings. Uh, Johnny, I know for a fact yours is open. Um, Could you, a couple questions, I suppose. Um, I know you've had it before. Do you remember the first time you tried this and um, how this particular batch compares to that time?
2: Uh, You know, one of the things that stands out with me for this beer being from Secret Trail is its consistency. This is one of the beers that once they nailed it, the last like three times I've had it, it's been the same. Uh, And that's huge for a brewery their size. I think it's one of the things that they pride themselves on this beer. Uh, I know at the beginning of their brewery, there was some consistency issues, but they've all gone away, it seems like. Uh, So first time I had this beer up until this time, have been very similar experiences, and uh, I think that's a great thing because they've found a fantastic uh, recipe, and I think that they've kind of knocked it out of the park with this beer personally. Fair, yeah,
1: so this batch that we're drinking was canned I think five days ago, I'm gonna double check. Yeah, today is the 26th of May, this was canned on May 21st, so exuberantly fresh. I did wanna take a minute to read what is on the can before we keep going, and they say, this juicy IPA is named for a downhill mountain biking trail in Upper Park, Uh, if you're not from Chico, that's uh, Bidwell Park known for its treacherous forays into untamed greenways, and we wanted to uh, we wanted to its namesake beer be no different. The aroma is wet with extra pulp, orange juice, grapefruit zest, and fresh-cut pineapple, while Greengate steeps the palate in a cornucopia of tropical fruit nectar and resiny hop flavor. Brewed and dry hopped with Mosaic, Idaho 7, and Yukonot, This IPA boosts four pounds per barrel dry hop ratio, lending to its fresh pressed quality and overall juicy vibes.
2: Fantastic.
1: Yeah, I'm really, I mean, I'm really excited about this one too, man. I think I super agree with you. Um, The past few times I've had it, it's been tremendous. And I don't actually remember a time where I didn't enjoy it. So I'm wondering if maybe it wasn't on my radar until uh, it was just, nailed to perfection. Um, that said, I haven't had a chance to taste this particular batch. So I'm going to do that. Um, anything jumping out at you now that you've had a chance to drink it a couple of times?
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean it pours beautifully. It is not too thick or too hazy, but it is a nice, nice level of cloudy. I would say it's a real pretty golden yellow color. Um, fantastic aroma. It just, it smells tremendous. Um, can't say enough about the smell. It smells delicious. Uh, And then what you find once you taste it is just a whole bunch of hops, but that's balanced so well with that juice. I mean, you know me, you guys listen, that's my number one complaint is beers like this that are are too sweet and too juicy and they taste like, you know, a smoothie and not a beer. There is no mistaking that this is a beer. This is a very hop forward experience. You're going to get a ton of bitterness, but that juiciness mellows it out on the finish and it just makes you wanna keep drinking it. Um, I feel really honored that a beer of this caliber is coming out of my hometown. Fair. Yeah, I mean, in a
1: second here, I'll drop in. We we got some audio from head brewer Charlie over there and we'll play that in a second. But yeah, like Mike, I think I line up with you a lot of the time when it comes to complaining about New England IPAs because they can be so juicy and so sweet and so overwhelming that you do sort of lose the beer quality. Um, where I might push back against yours a tiny bit is that I don't get really a lot of bitterness, uh, in any given point. It just feels like a really well balanced cloud of juiciness tinged with like some hop
2: characteristics. Oh, it's there. It's there. It's what dries it out and you kind of get it on like the back of your tongue in the aftertaste. That's true. Actually. I do get that, but it doesn't, it doesn't
1: leave me sort of, um,
2: like it doesn't leave my mouth cringing like a really bitter West coast would obviously. Um, no well I mean bitterness has levels and like it's obvious sure. I think it's, it's essential to this style but it's, it's all about the like the kind this is weird to say but like the, the type of bitterness and like mm. the, the overall feeling of it and how it relates to the beer Yeah, I mean you want some bitterness but you don't want it to be off putting totally so I think yeah is this beer pretty damn good what are, you, what are you tasting? What's your highlights? What are you feeling?
1: Yeah, I man. I mean, I think, so I actually, when I picked these up today, I got a four pack of this and I got a four pack of their Pineapple Bout It Bout It, which is a double IPA they have that is, uh, if you didn't pick up on it, uh, brewed also with pineapple. I um, mean, I thought it was interesting that the description of this can highlighted the pineapple as well because it is there, but I get much more of the citrus, kind of the pulpy vibe, uh, like a citrus, uh, almost pithiness um, or a uh, very perfectly ripe, uh, grapefruit or orange. Like it's, it's very bright and it's not heavy at all. And if I remember to talk about it, I want to, uh, just briefly when we get to hot and bothered, um, talk about the modern times beer you gave me, which is, um, a very different experience from this. And I think this is, <laughs> this is much more enjoyable. Um, though I think they were going for similar vibes. Um, which mm-hmm. so, which leads me to also piggyback off you saying like super stoked and proud that this is coming out of a place that is not my hometown, but I've called home for, uh, 10 years. Uh, it's just, yeah. It's just a great. It's a great beer, and we've said this in the past of Secret Trail. Like, um, every brewery that opens up has a learning curve, and I think they conquered theirs pretty early on and have just nailed whatever they try to do for a really long time.
2: Absolutely, this beer is is uh, doing wonders for their gravitas as a brewery yeah. in the in the scene, and I, I dig it, man. Uh, I was actually <clears throat> swimming with some friends this weekend, six feet apart, obviously. Sure, and uh, we. Did this side by side with King Sue and we Mm. all thought this was better, which is is bananas. I never thought in a million years, I would say that something from secret trails better than something from toppling Goliath, but honestly it is. Yeah. I mean, especially something as renowned as King Sue. Yeah. Pseudo Sue. Oh yeah. It's either way.
1: They're both, I mean, they're both, they're both world-class beers. We've covered Pseudo Sue on this podcast before. It's, it's a great
2: beer. Yeah, actually, it might have been King Sue. I don't remember. I was drinking. Um, <laughs> I think it was, because, yeah, King Sue just dropped in Chico. That's right. It was King Sue. Was it orange? Was the can orange, or was it silver? Yeah. Yeah, it was King Sue. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I was shocked, and honestly, just very impressed and really proud of these guys from where they've started to where they are now, just seeing the progression. I mean, I've been there, you know, day from day, damn close to day one, and sure. every one of their year anniversary parties up until this point, so... Yeah, man, this this might be one of the best beers coming out of Chico, and that's a bold statement, but it's true.
1: Well, for sure, man. I'm always a little bit curious to figure out the origins of of beers that I love. So if it's okay, I'm going to drop in that audio from Charlie Barrett right now, and then we'll, we'll regroup right after that.
0: Hey, Max, it's Charlie. So the story behind Greengate. Okay, so we were having some problems with a couple of our core beers that were losing their haze. And so Jake and I were getting pretty frustrated. Um, He heard about this podcast called Secrets of the New England IPA. So he listened to it, took really good notes, and then uh, we put our heads together, came up with what we thought might be a good recipe. Um, 20% flaked grain at least, uh, four to five pounds per barrel dry hopping, and nothing but cool whirlpool hops. So no bittering hops at all. And uh, we gave it a shot and uh it came out great and um so yeah we've been making it ever since and so glad we tried something different so cheers
1: thanks again charlie that was awesome i kind of reached out to charlie last minute being like hey we're covering this beer today so if you could give me some some background that would be awesome and and he got back to me in in like i think within 15 minutes much less um so that was lovely um, I wanted to make one correction. I did say earlier that this beer is 6.6%. I got that off the internet because my beer was cooling down in the fridge. This version is actually 6.7%. Just had to clear that up. All right. Um, but alcohol numbers aside, let's talk rating numbers. Johnny, out of 10, where do you think you're landing
2: with Green Gate from Secret Row? Well, you know, I tell you what, this beer is world-class, Max. This beer is is definitely something I'd travel for. Uh, this beer is something I I will seek out. It's something that I would love to see in my refrigerator constantly. Uh, this beer, this beer is coming in like an 8.8 for me. Pretty high. What do you not like about it? That's keeping it from being a nine. Um, I, you know, just nitpicky stuff. Like it's not as crushable as I'd want on a hundred degree day. I mean, that's some of that's situational, but yeah, like, um, you know, if it was just a, a tiny bit lighter and a little bit less, you know, thick feeling on the palate. But, I mean, that's su- super nitpicky. You know what I mean? You're in the high also, eights. You should be picking nits. That's where you pick yeah, them. exactly. I mean, and to be fair... um you would have to do something really insane for me to get into the nines or even close to a 10 with like a juicy or hazy IPA at this point mm, in my life. That's true. Just where I'm at as a beer consumer and on a personal level, they're not necessarily my favorite. So this is probably the highest ranked hazy beer that I've done in a long time.
1: Uh, well, for one thing, my friend, we will know that very soon because we're doing uh, our categorized list of beers. But um, I think you're super right. I don't feel the same way that you do about hazy IPAs. I think they're great. It's like we said, almost probably past 100 degrees right now. So I've liked them through the winter. So I'm stoked that hot weather's coming around and I have a beer like this to drink. So for me, the stuff that you said, I think is also true. It's a little bit heavy to be crushable, but I, you know, it, it, maybe if I, again, nitpicking, it drinks more like a seven and a half, maybe 8% beer in terms of body. Yeah. But worst case scenario, that ends up being a heavy feeling, delicious beer. So for me, Um, that's maybe my only thing that I don't love. So it's like a nine and a half out of 10 for me, dude.
2: Good grief, son. I really like it. Yeah. You've Um, been like Oprah the last few weeks with the high (laughs) scores. Have I? I don't remember. Is that true? You've given tens the last two episodes and a 9.5 this episode.
1: Dude, that vanilla, that vanilla, um, whatever that beer was.
2: The Double Nickel Monty's Reserve Raspberry Vanilla Goza. And then the week before that. that that, was the hen house juiced tangerine goes. I loved that beer. It's hot weather. Like it's it's the perfect time
1: yeah. to get me to give out high grades because we're coming right into this hot weather and I'm looking for something to cool me down and be delicious and all of these beers that you talked about have been that way. So I yeah. fortuitous timing, but I'm I'm stoked about it. I regret nothing. These ratings will all hold up.
2: I'm sure. Uh, and I think that's just a testament to the 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 wealth of amazing beer at our fingertips and just the never-ending stream of things that we have yet to try. Uh, your favorite beer is right around the corner and you've never met it. Yeah, what a lovely sentiment. Thanks, I man. Yeah, you're I welcome. Get d- I get deep sometimes. <laughs> okay, well... But it's, it's true, though. I mean, that's why craft beer is so addictive. That's why we do this show for so long and we'll never get bored with it because there's always a new movie. There's always <laughs> a new beer. Yeah. Like, the next best flavor is something you haven't had yet. And yeah. that's inspiring, and it's what makes this industry so great and trying all these new beers so fun, you know? And uh, it's amazing to have it all at our fingertips. So I'm stoked that I get to pick good beers and you get to give them insanely high ratings. <laughs> and, you know, we we discover amazing stuff for ourselves and do the research for people that don't have the time to shop for beer, like ding-dongs, like we do every week. So, Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Man, good good segment. That's a great beer. I'm super stoked on this brewery. Uh, they've been a friend of the show for a long time. They actually collabed on a beer with us. Yeah, they Remember did. That? that was so yeah. fun. Ah, that was so cool. That was a one off um, though. That's a that's a Patreon type thing,
1: guys. Uh, yeah. Let's let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, yeah, we did a beer together more or less. Um, yeah. And. It was a small batch thing. So we kind of reached out to everybody in Patreon. And then once those spots were quote unquote reserved, we reached out to a couple other friends. And then we all showed up. I think it was a Sunday. And we drank um, all of that nine point something percent beer. And so it was delicious. It. Yeah. Yeah. Good Man, time. It was
2: so good. Yeah. Anyways, that was fun. yeah. Well, yeah.
1: so so we're talking. We have been talking about Green Gate from Secret Trail. You can get it if you live in Chico. Obviously, you probably already know this. Um, it's around town. I believe uh, there's free delivery. By the way, so if you want to reach out on their website, get your hands on this. Again, they're doing another brewing, uh, new, another canning, rather on uh, June 18th. So it's going to be coming out fresh all the time. Um, but in the meantime, that's an 8.8 for Johnny, a 9.5 for me. And we're going to move right along into
2: flick picks. And I think Johnny, um, you I have should, one, you one, f- one more thing to oh, say about that beer though. Sorry. Yep. Um, first, yeah, last off, definite big shout out to those guys. Follow them on all the social medias too. They're doing great things. If they don't have this beer every second of every day of every year in their lineup available, they're crazy. <laughs> You plant the secret trail flag on this beer, and you you just ride that magic luck dragon off into the sunset. You think this, this is, is some, this is
1: top tier? This is the flagship for them. You think
2: this is world class? Like I mm-hmm. said, I liked yeah. it better than King Sue. That's insane. Yeah, that is. Um, nice. Yeah, if they don't have this beer available year round, this should be their flagship. So that's all I'm saying. Fair enough. Well then, Mic uh, drop. Great. Well, I just did my transition, so now you have to do one. All right. So. You know what else is world-class? All right. Taika Waititi. <laughs> that little lovable man from New Zealand is quickly becoming my favorite human in the movie industry, and I was recommended a film of his that is called Hunt for the Wilder People, and it's my flick pick of the week. I don't remember if I wasn't talking with you. Was I talking with you about it? Um, no. Okay. Well, then... Fill I me was in. Talking with, uh yeah, it so was my friend from work Ben. We were talking about Taika Waititi and his movies, and he's like, yeah, and like Hunt for the Wilder People was amazing. Have mm. you seen this movie? I have not. Okay, so this oh that's exciting. You have to watch this. It's on Hulu. It's free. It's two clicks away. Okay, uh, and uh, it stars uh what's his name? I can't. There it is Julian Dennison plays a boy named Ricky. This movie's centered around him, and he plays. Uh, a young orphan finding a new home out in kind of the bush country in the middle of nowhere. Uh, And his counterpart, grumpy uh, uncle, we'll recall him uncle because the couple that he moves in with, they're named Bella and Hector. Okay. But he goes by Heck, and he's played by Sam Neill. And I absolutely loved Sam Neill in this movie. He's the consummate uh, Ron Swanson (laughs) meets New Zealander you know, written by Taiko Waititi with this amazing dialogue. I was having just talking about this earlier today too. That I feel like Taiko Waititi is quickly becoming so recognizable in his style of directing and and writing that like it just plays almost like a Tarantino type dialogue. Mm. Like they're different, obviously, but just the recognizability and the listenability like i love listening to taiko itt's movies cuz they're just just the discourse between the characters in like a thor ragnarok or a jojo rabbit or a hunt for the wilder people mm-hmm. is so pleasing to the ear it's crisp it's to the point it's funny it's dry funny uh, sure. i absolutely love it uh, so this movie is about I'm going to read what it says in IMDb yeah. and I'll elaborate a little bit. A national manhunt is ordered for rebellious kid and his foster uncle who go missing in the wild New Zealand bush. Uh I won't go too deep into what it's about. Oh that was it. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was it. There there's spoilers that would happen pretty early in the movie. Like there's some pretty early plot twists in this that I didn't see coming. Um so I won't go too deep into it, but it's it's this Really interesting dynamic of this um, grudgingly unaccepting guardian of an unwanted orphan child. Okay. And them bonding in the wilderness, like running around with rifles. Uh, it was wild and exuberant and well written and well acted and uh, a pleasant little treat of a movie to watch. If you haven't seen it, check out Hunt for the Wilder People, available on Hulu. Word. Okay.
1: I, so, it's for sure going to jump to the top of my list. It's so good. I feel like I, I try to do that whenever you're like, yes, this movie made an impact on me for these reasons. Oh, I'm like, all right, well, cool. Like, I, I will watch it. Yeah. Um, okay. What caught, well, among many things that caught my interest there, you said uh, it's becoming, or Taika Waititi is, is starting to have a recognizable sort of uh, maybe cadence to his movies. You're like, yeah, maybe this is something I could latch onto as a Waititi film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to use that little old ditty as a transition into my flick pick this week, which is a film called Breathless, and it came out in 1960. Uh, it was directed by a guy named Jean-Luc Godard. It was his first feature-length movie, and it's widely considered the sort of birth of the French New Wave movement in, in movie making. Um mm. It starred a gal named Jean Seberg, who we'll talk about later in our film of the week called Seberg. Uh, if you didn't make that connection, I will I made it for you. <laughs> um, she was an actress that sort of helmed part of this movement with some of these directors and when you said that this movie was becoming uh or taika waititi was making movies that are obviously white white waititian can i say waititian waititi i like that waititi ish um waititi forever i did yeah waititi forever i took sort of a a shallow deep dive As, as deep as you can go into uh french new wave cinema as you can in like two hours um have you heard the term french new wave before johnny
2: I have. I didn't know right. what it means. Neither Please did tell I. Tell me what it means.
1: The gist of it. I was thinking about reading from from Wikipedia, but I don't think I'm even going to go that far. It's just in in the dumbest of shells of nuts. A film movement that was a response to traditional filmmaking that emphasized film as uh, an artistic expression uh, rather than uh, rather than maybe a a formulaic way to tell a story. So the new wave movement was, um, all of these different directors trying to express themselves, which is already pretty interesting in film without the backing of big studios. And you started looking at movies rather than like a Paramount Pictures presentation as a Taika Waititi movie or or a Tarantino movie or a uh, Jean-Luc Godard movie. So I watched Breathless and that's my only experience with it, but, uh, there's a lot of jump cuts and weird editing and, and the plots are kind of convoluted, almost like a noir film, um, but not quite. It, it was just a really interesting experience for me, and I'm, I'm looking forward to diving deeper into this because um, it's clearly a huge, a huge thing that's that's broken out from the '60s and influenced film even till today. Watching it, it wasn't that. Like, had I not known how groundbreaking this was at the time, I would have been like, "Well, this is pretty standard." because of how much it influenced modern filmmaking.
2: Oh, wow. It's so a- it's that, it's standard because it set the precedent.
1: Yeah, like in a lot of ways. Um, that said, I didn't really like Breathless. I think if I didn't have the appreciation for what it was doing, um, I would have liked it not at all. Um, mm. It's sometimes kind of hard to follow. It's very, um, I mean, for the time, story-wise, pretty aggressive in its pacing, but there's like a 30 minute sequence that just happens kind of in a bedroom and it's not really compelling outside of the craft. And I, I don't know. Um, I'd be curious to hear people's thoughts on this. I'm still obviously formulating mine. Um, but it is on Amazon for rent for like four bucks. Um, and it's, it's again, like widely considered sort of the birth of French new wave. And it's, it's worth checking out, especially if you enjoyed what we're going to talk about in a little bit here at Seberg, um, just to understand a little bit more about, about that time period interesting i like it it's a good flick pick yeah uh i feel like we should say on flick picks too like we're both covering stuff that isn't totally new um because there's, there's nothing new um even seaberg isn't totally new but you know we can talk about that
2: when we get there um is there anything else you want to talk about before we go to a break no that was really the only movie that i i consumed this last week and it was a great recommendation so shout out ben fair uh yeah, I think I'm going to try and just get a hold of everything Taiko Waititi's done and everything he's doing. And just, I know he's got a hand in that new um, Ryan Reynolds movie where Ryan Reynolds like finds out he's an NPC in a video game. Oh, does Has he? he seen? I, yeah. I have. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I didn't know that yeah, Waititi I guess Ta- was on that
2: Wait- I, I know he's in it. I'm not sure if he's writing it or directing it, but I know he's at least appearing in it. I've seen him in some of the stills. Uh, wearing one of the most ridiculously amazing trench coats I've ever seen in my awesome. life. Awesome. Perfect. Like, yeah. Uh, I'll see if I can find the picture and send it to you. But, yeah, I'm curious to see if he's if he's got a hand in that. That makes me even more excited than I already was for that movie. So, good times. Yeah. Thanks for the the insight into some French New Wave. Yeah, man. I, uh, want, I, I want French fries and... Uh, <laughs> To learn a new wave. The now. epitome of the French New Wave. The French fry. The
1: French fry. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump to a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about Seaberg. We're not going to spoil anything. So if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, don't worry about it. And we'll be right back.
2: Hey, out there in Radioland. It is Johnny Summers telling you about the number one place to hang out in Chico because it's getting hot. You need a nice burger, maybe some delicious cocktails, glass of wine, ice cold craft beer. One place has it all, it's the Handlebar, right here in Chico, 2070 East 20th Street. They're back open for dine-in. Our own Max Menardi was just there enjoying a socially distanced cold beverage on the patio. Had a great time, had himself a happy hour. Every single day from two to six, that's when he was there. You should go then, you get a dollar off any craft beer. There's cocktail specials, there's wine specials. They're back open for business, go support them because they support us. That's the Handlebar, right here in Chico, 2070 East 20th Street. Go enjoy.
0: Breathless made you a star of the new wave. Why do you think the French fell in love with you? They fell in love with the character. They get me instead.
1: And who is that? Who is Jean Seberg? A million Americans look at you and they see an escape. They want the girl from the Midwest. It's America's sweetheart.
0: I've been trying to get away from that girl my whole life. This country is at war with itself. Vietnam, the oppression of black people in America, it's the same disgusting racism. The revolution needs movie stars. Who's that? Some actress. Just grabbing some free publicity. She has a history of donations to civil rights groups. She's a sympathizer, sir. I think
1: she could be useful. You must be some kind of crazy to come to this neighborhood in that car.
0: Was it my money you were chasing? Or was it me? <laughs> They've tapped our phones. They're listening. I can hear these little clicks on the line. I think it's the government. Where have you been? I kept us late at the office. Our job is to cheapen our image in the eyes of the public. There's things that I've been ordered to do.
1: Those are pictures from her bedroom. Are you having an affair?
0: They're pushing her too hard. She's coming (laughs) apart. This comes from above. Baby you gotta stop. They will destroy you. Your reputation, your career, your family. You can't stand that I might be a part of something more important than books or articles or movies. What are you a part of except the end of two marriages? Who is it? You swing by in your limousine, open your legs and your checkbook, and you think that gives you the right to anything you want. I only ever wanted to help. Well, that doesn't make you a better person. That makes you a tourist. Fame. Somebody who speaks out against their government is a type of persecution. You run around with a handful of nails, looking for a cross to die on. You deserve to know the truth. Woman has her secrets.
1: That was a trailer for the political thriller Seaberg, directed by Benedict Andrews. You might know him from a film called Una that came out in 2016. I didn't. I don't think Johnny does. Do you? Nope. Cool. Seaberg premiered at the Venice Film Festival in August of last year, 2019. It had a limited theatrical run in February of this year before releasing to Amazon on, uh, I think, May 15th of this year. Uh, It was made with a budget of $8 million and came away with a measly $675,000 in theaters. Johnny, would you be so kind as to read me the synopsis for this film?
2: In the late 1960s, French New Wave actress and Breathless star Jean Seberg became the target of the FBI due to her support of the civil rights movement and her romantic involvement with Hakim Jamal, a Black Panther activist. She soon, find, she soon finds her life and career in jeopardy as the overreaching surveillance and harassment start to take a toll on everything that she holds dear.
1: That's right. So it's Kristen Stewart as Gene Seberg. Yvonne Atal is her husband, Romaine. Steven Root plays Walt Breckman. He is her agent out in America who is trying to get her some work in the film industry. Jack O'Connell plays Jack Solomon, a new FBI agent. Anthony Mackie plays Hakeem Jamal. Margaret Qualley is Lynette, Jack's wife. Zazie Beetz plays Dorothy, wife And Vince Vaughn is this guy, Carl, who has been in the FBI so long, he is apparently just a huge uh, racist asshole and doesn't care about how he makes people feel. This film, Seabird, currently holds a whopping 34% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb. I wonder what these numbers will be like compared to our own feelings. But before we give the cold, hard numbers, Johnny, what did you think just in general of this movie? Uh, In general...
2: I thought this movie was real disappointing. Okay. That's, yeah, a broad overarching statement. Um, It had a presentation of certain ideals and a very overarching theme of uh, morality and uh, taking some strong political stances. uh, And what followed was what could have been a very interesting and deep, complex story, uh, filled with, you know, the perils of the civil rights movement in the '60s in America, which is one of the most fascinating times in history, probably. Uh, and what we ended up with was a movie that was poorly constructed, very disappointingly acted, and uh, it did not portray what I was anticipating to be a fantastic story in a very good or entertaining way at all.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that sounds about right. The thing I'd push back against is maybe the acting. I did like some of the acting in this. I I think that Kristen Stewart was pretty good. Um, But I agree with you that like what we were saying before we hit record again is I, I, I didn't know about this movie much going in. I thought it was gonna be maybe a biopic of Gene Seberg. And then it was clear from the opening scenes that it was like, all right, like maybe this is more political and kind of, kind of uh, covert and like you know, so out of the vaults of the FBI comes this true story, and I don't know. Then, then we start, start talking about civil rights, and and so we have these this kind of compounding story of all of these different things that I agree with you don't ever really resolve in in a satisfying way or even a historically helpful way. Um, right. I I don't know though, like. Some of the people in this, I think, did the best that they could with what they were given and, and they weren't given too much. Like Anthony Mackey with his sort of limited screen time as Hakeem Jamal was was pretty good. I liked seeing sort of that that more f- frontman side of him because I think the last stuff that I've really seen him in was like the Avengers movies. Yeah. Where he's basically um comic relief. And that's fine. Like he's a funny dude. But um I when I first saw him as Hakeem Jamal, I was like, wow, he's gonna be given some real dramatic heft to work with. And he ends up being more of like a, a pawn for whatever trajectory the story ends up going, which we won't spoil now, but I I don't know. I was also let down for sure. Um, and I I don't know. I I was thinking about this because I was, I was trying to work on what I was going to eventually give this movie for a rating. And I realized I was rating it more on sort of how it opened my eyes to the French new wave and who Jean Seberg even was, even though this movie doesn't spend a whole lot of time on her career. Um, yeah. and I had to reevaluate after I realized that's what I was doing
2: mm. So interesting yeah well, you you can't really like or dislike a movie based on the ideas that you know or things that makes you Google. yeah I mean, yeah I like, know you, you, it did spark interesting thought and you maybe want to research more but we're here to talk about this actual movie and how we felt about it so right yep agreed. Um, so, uh, go ahead I feel like we're both a little disappointed.
1: Yeah, I'm more disappointed now than I realized I was, but it's, you know, uh, uh, it, yeah, it felt a little, um, it felt kind of cookie cutter, weirdly enough, like production wise. And it, it didn't look particularly interesting. Like, it, it, And maybe it's because I just started the Amazon series Hunters, which I know you talked about mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, which yeah. is very much the same sort of snapshot of the 60s. Um, like, I don't know. It just felt kind of stale to me. And then the, I have a I have a question. Yeah. sorry, I'm
2: interrupting. Go ahead. Uh, no, I, I was just gonna keep talking for forever. What's your question? Oh, um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, and I think I, I'm just not having an argument formulate, but like it, it just struck me in this that it kind of fell into some of the tropes of the white savior type situation. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, because we're dealing with massive, like at one point. Um, Hakeem Jamal, uh, Anthony Mackey's character, or vice versa, sure, uh, in this, you know, says straight up that there is a war against black people in America. And like this whole movie ended up being about how bummed out Gene Seberg was, then all of the issues, you know, she helped them, the Black Panthers, and then gave them some money. And then the whole rest of the movie was about how bummed out it made her. And, like, it didn't focus on any of the problems, but, like, she was literally, like, the white martyr of all of this whole situation. And if that's, like, the case and that's true to history, then, like, obviously, sure, tell that story. But, like, it came across to me as, like, oh, uh, they just needed to, like, make this feel more real if, like, a white person said about it. So,
1: yeah. I mean, I think let's say it is real. Um, she there's a particular scene where she shows up with Anthony Mackie's character and they approach Zazie Beetz's character, uh, Dorothy, and she's like, they're out of school, and she's like, would five thousand dollars be good? And it, that scene, if nothing else, feels very kind of gross. It does feel kind of like, oh, here's my money, like take it, you poor black people. I'm I can afford it, mm-hmm. so I'll give you that. But like then it doesn't really tell that story. Like it it does become what you're saying, like oh, I'm sad that the FBI ruined my life, like either stick with it and embrace maybe the problematic modern telling of that story and just tell it for what happened, but do something, pick your lane. You know, like I would have watched that story and they, they kind of just, they almost just duck around it by the time it would have come up again. Right. And yeah. yeah. It, it felt cheap. Cause like later on Zazie beats character is like this is the last time I'll see you almost telling us the audience, like you don't have to worry about this issue coming up because we're, we're not going to bother.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I agree. There was, Yeah. So I'm, I'm just asking because you have more of a firm grasp on like the definition of what that concept is in cinema. Like, would that be something that falls into like the the white savior trope? I mean, I think there's definitely there's
1: definitely aspects of that that could have been had it been followed on screen for sure. Like, you could you could make that case, but I think there's a there's a uh, hypothetically speaking, had they continued that trajectory, there's a good enough foundation of her being checked every time. Like, look. This is our life. Like You can't come in and just give us money and expect it to go away. I think that line gets set at least once. And that helps a little bit. It's not just like, oh, thank you so much for your money. We owe you everything. So it didn't quite go that far for me, but it, it
2: certainly could have. Well, I mean, what makes me think that more so besides the money being like a a direct savior Mm -hmm. is the focus on her suffering versus the suffering of the people that were actually suffering and why she got involved in the first place. Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, why is, why is the focus on her suffering and not like there was this whole group that was suffering way more radically and physically and immediately, but let's for sure focus on how this one white lady that wrote a check once is bummed out.
1: Yeah. So, um, I don't know that that falls into necessarily the Hollywood trope of a white savior storytelling stuff, but, um, it's definitely problematic for a number of reasons. Like, I think we both agree the more interesting story, especially in the framework that it's presented would be to follow the civil rights movement. Right? So, like, and I didn't necessarily hold it to that standard until it became a factor. And then it's like, okay, well, I can't now ignore all of this that you've presented just so that we can see her suffering with alcoholism necessarily.
2: Yeah, dude, seriously. Like, they teased us with the civil rights movie, but instead we got <laughs> another movie about yeah. a
1: sad white person. Well, yeah, well, we well, for sure again, need more of those. But again, like, it's sure, we don't need more, but it would have been fine. It's just don't try to, um, uh, um, you know, keep them separate, uh, but equal. Separate, but equal. I guess. Right? I couldn't, like, just I would. I would take one movie or the other. It's impossible to mix them and and
2: pay off the way that it tries to. It's like a stolen valor situation. They teased us in with the plight yeah. of the black man, and then gave us the plight of the Kristen Stewart. I know, man. Like, I
1: I wouldn't. It's just they're they're yeah, like you're saying. Like they don't hold a candle to one doesn't hold a candle to the other. Like, I I, I don't want to downplay the emotional trauma. That this woman clearly went through, but exactly you can't compare the two necessarily because one is involving thousands and thousands of people, and they're just different issues. Also, this—if you want to talk maybe white savior stuff—it's like trying to redeem the young FBI Jack O'Connell's character, like trying to give him a redemptive arc in the end is like all of those characters are pretty half-drawn to me. Like him, his his wife played by Margaret Qualley, and then Vince Vaughn, obviously, and his weird messed-up family. Like trying to give all these characters dimensions and then trying to sort of like, uh, it's kind of spoilery, but clearly uh, Jack O'Connell's character has sort of a a moral decision he's dealing with throughout the entire film. And like Mm -hmm. they almost make him more important than certainly any of the people of color in this movie by the end. And that feels not correct, but, you know, I don't know. I can see uh, why people didn't love this, I guess, is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, me too. I definitely see why I didn't love it.
1: Yeah. Um where did you land on it? Out of 10? <laughs> it's like a 2. Yeah, point, Yeah, it's a 2.1. 2.1. Why the 0.1? Why not just 2?
2: Cuz it just feels right, man. Okay.
1: Um well, then I will jump in uh, and just say a 4. I'm a 4 out of 10. Um cuz again, Take away the the true storyness of it, if you want. Like, I think Kristen Stewart did a pretty good job. Again, I do think Anthony Mackie did a good job with what they were given. Um, and it's a story that did sort of point out some uh, shortcomings of the government. Certainly, uh, the FBI. Definitely, uh, they kind of give a, a synopsis towards the end of the movie explaining kind of the the Co Intel Pro uh, project that was sort of allowing the spying i don't think this is given too much away but like the the tapping of people's homes and like that's that's historically significant and and i don't know, again like it kind of turned me on to french new wave so i'm a four out of ten it's i'm not gonna watch it again but i'm not mad that i watched it all right all right i'm kind of mad i watched it okay that sounds yeah 2.1 you better be mad you watched it yeah i'm, I'm a little unhappy i watched it
2: um uh, yeah in the the scale of how long did you watch this movie before you checked your phone to see what time it was? <laughs> I made it to like 25 minutes. Um, so not good. So I will both
1: um, applaud you and condemn you because I think you should have known going in that you shouldn't have your phone on you. Cause I put my phone away. I was like, I think I'll probably go for it during this movie. Yeah. Um, but you're, yeah, you're right. It's not maybe an attention, super grabby movie, especially once you realize that the, um, I don't know. The imbalances of this movie are pretty present. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's also a pro tip. If you go to watch breathless, the, the Jean-Luc Godard movie I talked about earlier, just, just put your phone in a drawer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, just do it and then just try to watch that movie for what it is and know that we're 50 years or 60 years later, however many years that's, it is. It's fair. So do you want to, you want to drink another beer? You feel like we're good on this? My friend, I desperately need a drink at this point. Okay, then one more time, that's Seaberg. It's available to watch on Amazon Prime. If you have Prime, you can watch it for free. If not, you can rent it. Uh, we always want to hear thoughts. So if you have them, uh, email us or tweet us or
2: whatever you got to do to us, do it. Yeah, go check it out. <laughs> or go check out Seabiscuit that featured better acting and writing <laughs> from the horse. That's where your brain went?
1: Yeah. Sea to sea, sea to shining sea, 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 All right, man, let's talk about this McKellar beer that we're about to drink. Cause I, it was one that you and I both thought that maybe we'd done on the show before, but somehow we haven't. I know that it's, or I assume it's one you like, cause
2: it's got all the right words for a stout that you love. So yeah, what is it? So we're drinking Trey blood. It is an Imperial stout clocking in 12% brewed by McKellar San Diego. It's a, it's a big old stout with maple syrup and coffee. And, uh, I've had it in the past. It's been tremendous. I've had the standard and the barrel-aged version in the past. And this is a brand new iteration, a new can, a new batch, let's say. January. uh, It was January this year. Nice. Okay. Yeah, brand new can, had not new label, too. So, yeah, it's uh, a new canning version of a beer that I've liked in the past, and I'm hoping that it holds up to this next batch.
1: Have you had it? Not yet. I was going to ask you, you said it very quickly. You said McKellar San Diego as opposed to like McKellar out of San Diego, California. Why did you say it that way?
2: Uh, Because McKellar San Diego, they have breweries in like San Diego and like Stockholm and they also have tap rooms in like Almost every country, I swear to God. Well, there's they, like, yeah, there's McKellars in Germany, McKeller bars all over the country. There's like a McKeller bar in San Francisco. It's ridiculous.
1: They do a lot of, um, uh, I want to say vagabond brewing. I mean, I know that's not the right term. Is it? Is that still? Is it gypsy brewing? Is that a thing? Yeah. So I, I bumped into a brewery of theirs that was literally only going to be there for six months in Portland. They're like, yeah, we're moving on in six months. Like they move around a lot, so they've had tap rooms yeah across the world in places that move yeah but it does seem that san diego is kind of a mainstay a lot of the time yeah i mean this one's out of there so have you had a chance
2: to try it yet i have thoughts uh i'm getting different things than i remember Mm. it's definitely not as sweet as i remember it being i remember it being like very sweet and very heavy on the maple and this is a bit more subdued than than i last recall what do you think about that (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, my go-to now that we've talked about it so many times on the show is is Double Stack from uh, yeah. Help Me Out. Uh, that would be from Great Notion, right? Which is one of your favorites, and and since it's one of your favorites, and you've talked about it for at this point years, like that's kind of my bar for a maple stout. And yeah. yeah, this is nowhere near that, but it's not like it's so unsweet that I'm like, what do you mean maple? Like this is definitely a, a clearly sweet coffee forward stout. So I'm I'm into it, um, and it's not overwhelming.
2: Yeah, I love that the, the the flavor ratio has transitioned to be a bit more coffee and a bit less maple. For sure. It, it, I think it equates to a bit more balanced drinking experience. It's not an overload of sugar that just wrecks your palate. Uh, it's a It adds to the complexity. You get a bit more overall experience out of this, which I, I kind of like. I think it's it's less sweet and a bit more bitter. You definitely get some roastiness from the coffee. Uh I'm actually I'm enjoying it quite quite a bit. I think they should call it a coffee stout with maple. For sure. I was going to say like one of my big things um is that
1: the sweetness can often cover up sort of the body if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's it's they can or a, certainly like a maple stout or a, or a dessert stout can be so sweet that you sort of lose the rest of that roastiness and in this case like the coffee roastiness and whatever. And yeah, like I'm I'm with you. The 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 leveling out of those two flavors, um, sort of working together, I think is really really nice.
2: Yeah, I had to to really just smack my uh, initial expectations in the nose with a newspaper that's been rolled up very tightly sure. because I was anticipating a big a big sweet bomb. And my first sip, I was like, oh, this is not good. It's not the same. Don't like it. It's not yeah. sweet enough. Yeah. Um. And that's that's not a correct way to look at a beer things change recipes change batches change um simply put this batch has maybe 20 percent of the maple that the previous batches had wow really Um, yeah oh yeah this beer was one almost like double stack where you open it up Mm -hmm. and you're like holy shit someone just poured pancake syrup everywhere gotcha Like, am I covered in syrup right now? What's happening? Uh, But this one definitely, it has notes of that maple, but the notes definitely complement the coffee. Like, I can smell the maple on my lips after drinking it. Yeah. But it is far down in the flavor profile, for sure, which is, it's different. And if you go in expecting uh, the same as a previous batch, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, But if you can look at it objectively as a stout with a, a subtle maple adjunct, I think you'll enjoy this beer quite a bit.
1: I mean, honestly, man, that's the way that I prefer most of these sort of over-the-top, you know. Uh, is it fair to call this a dessert stout? I think or a so. pastry, I, not I, a pastry I, stout. It's maybe not really. Uh, maybe a though, stout. like it's the same level of intensity. Uh, we'll just say like a big sweet stout. Okay, sure. Like I, I almost always prefer them to be uh, less aggressive on the sweetness side. Yeah, I think this is really good. Like. M- We've talked about this in the past, but McKellar can often be really hit or miss. Like it's either really tasty or like almost undrinkable, right? Some of their stuff is just so disgusting. Like why would you? Why would you send this out into the world? Yeah, are they the most polarizing brewery in history? I don't know, man. Yeah, but this one's. I mean, this one's very good. So maybe next time we do it, i a Keller beer. I mean, like it'll. I'll come off the opposite end, but I'm I'm very favorable
2: towards this one. It's real nice. Uh yeah, once you get over that initial it not having that maple blast, you can appreciate it for like the the more roasty and coffee stout it is. Like I said, this should just be called a uh, coffee stout with maple. Yeah, you definitely
1: get more maple on the nose too, right? Mhm. Yeah. Which I think is nice. Like it kind of preps you for it it almost like lets you get overly um in my case wary and then I'm like, "Okay, no, it's not that intense. This is yeah, I'm I'm
2: pretty wild about this yeah it's good man it's solid you know not what i expected but it's a it's a pleasant surprise for sure they really balanced this beer out
1: so if you had to say do you like this more or less than the more maple forward ones
2: i like it less i wanted yeah. i wanted a maple blast that's what excites me about this beer is just okay. like having that intense maple i don't i'm not mad that it's a little bit less sweet but yeah i am i am kind of missing that that huge maple up front okay well then
1: on the uh, on the more negative side I suppose I'll I'll chime in with my gripes. Um and and that's sort of the um aftertaste is given me almost like a vegetal kind of earthy um um you know, I can't say dirtiness that's not helpful but like it, it the sweetness kind of falls off really abruptly and leaves it with almost like way too much of of like an earthy bitterness. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's fair. Um, And then same with the carbonation, like it's pretty, pretty big bodied until the very end. And it's like, just almost like a, like a, a bubbly sort of weird effervescence that I do not see coming.
2: Yeah, I agree. That's, it's a little too effervescent.
1: Yeah. Uh, Johnny, would you travel for this? Mm -mm. Yeah, me neither. Well, how did you get this by the way?
2: Uh, I was down in Sacramento working today, and I took a lunch break and went to Curtis Park Market. They have an amazing deli now, which is dope. Oh, nice! And uh, good beer selection. And they're not far from one of my accounts in Sacramento, so mm-hmm. I popped in there, did some exploring, bought some things for myself, and picked this beer up. Okay. For the show today.
1: Well, let's let's rate it, and then I want to know how much it cost. Okay. Uh, I am going to give it a solid seven out of ten.
2: Like that's. You pretty know, fair.
1: Yeah. It feels, that seems good. Like the, the things I'm willing to mostly overlook the things that I don't like. And, and most of the stuff I do like, I love that it's not so sweet. Um, the roastiness comes through in a way that I find pretty drinkable. Um, but you, I mean, you did give it to me in a pint can. I would prefer to only have eight ounces of this. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know that it's super, obviously not crushable, but even drinkable on any sort of large scale.
2: Yeah. Uh not excited for this beer. Uh mm. definitely not. I think there's things that I could get that taste similar to this that are better. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. It's not what it was and I'm not stoked on it. Okay. Uh for me it's it's dropping a little bit lower. this is clocking out like a six point two for me.
1: Okay. Yeah, that sounds right based on what you've said. Yeah. Uh, uh which is disappointing.
2: Yeah. That's all right
1: though. What did uh what did it cost you? Six bucks. Okay, that's not, I, I was expecting you to say like nine or ten. Yeah. But that seems no, just, fair for the amount of enjoyment yeah. I've gotten.
2: Yeah, it makes me want to go buy a barrel-aged tray blood that's like $30 for the 750 because <laughs> it's the first batch with the tons of maple. Right, and right, right. tons of bourbon. Oh, my God, that beer's good. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah.
1: all right. That's a. That's, well, that, you know what? They can't all be winners. No, of course not. That's Trey blood from McKellar. Uh, 6.2 for you. Seven for me. Get your hands on it if you can. Let us know what you think. In the meantime, Johnny, I suggest we move into uh, into Hot and Bothered. What do you think? Do it.
2: What the hell does river time mean? River time. That means time spent on the river. Okay. I uh, actually got out and spent some time on the Sacramento River this last weekend. All the boat ramps are open, uh, and the uh, parking lots are back open. They were all barred off by the state of California before, mm-hmm. and now they are back open so you can go enjoy uh sitting on in a lawn chair by the river drinking a beer and not get hassled by anyone nice so
1: i I think this is probably you didn't go more than once did you no just once went on sunday had a nice time well thank you for the invite yeah which sounded sarcastic but it was true you invited me and i couldn't i did uh so it was a good time in general
2: yeah it was a fantastic time uh really nice warm day and uh, it was a holiday weekend a lot of people were out. felt like the city was very alive you know you see people out in the sunshine having fun you know it was a good time
1: is this when you compared um green gate to uh king sue yep got it floating down the river baby well nice man yeah your your next what i assume hot if you're okay moving on from there is um you wrote beef ribs i did i gotta hear what you mean
2: yeah, so I smoked uh, beef plate ribs for the first time. I've been kind of trying to advance my barbecue game for you know the last year or two, and uh, it's one of those things that I've been wanting to get a hold of. Uh, it's an expensive cut of meat. It's 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 an investment to get a big plate rib roast, and uh, they're basically what you would imagine Fred Flintstone would eat: right. a giant slab of meat on a giant rib that's like. Almost two inches across. Yeah, uh, one of the most fun things I've ever cooked. Um, in just preparation and just the the look of it, uh, it's a it was a really gratifying cook, and I uh, actually got to share with you. So yes, it's fun when you get to spread some love around. So I won't. I'm not going to toot my horn, but what did you think of those? Well, yeah, I mean, you posted a really uh, provocative picture on Instagram. It was a, Did you take that with a cell phone? Uh, Shalina did that with her, the iPhone 11 Pro.
1: Yeah, it was like so dark that the con. It was great. It felt very professional, and I it looked so good that I texted you and was like, I want one, and mm-hmm. you were like, well, if you want one, I'll, you can have one, and then I was like, well, perfect, and I drove to your place, and you gave me one, you were like, hey, there's only three, and I was <laughs> like, but you gave me one, and then it yeah. turns out they're the size of like, they, I mean, they have to be like 12 ounces of meat on each one, like it's
2: wild. Yeah, yeah it's so much meat. It's incredible. Yeah. 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 So I drove home.
1: I (laughs) drove home with it. Um, and, and Gianna was going to get off work in like 20 minutes. I was like, okay, I hadn't eaten in like six hours and I was like, okay, I'm just going to wait. She'll want to try it and I can do this. Um, and then she got home and we tried it. It was super good, man. Gianna said that rib meat is a lot like sort of corned beef and she doesn't love corned beef. And I was like, well, perfect. I will eat most of this then, Mm -hmm. but it was flavored really well. There were lots of different like textures in there. Um, I'm not huge on ribs, like I've never never barbecued ribs or anything, but very tasty.
2: Nice. So I say, it well worked. done, sir. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, it it was real fun, and that checked one off like the bucket list of barbecue for me. So, uh, and also big shout out to uh, Chico Locker and Sausage mm. right here off of Fourteenth Street, uh, local butcher shop where they process whole animals, and uh, you can meet the man that chopped up your cow, and uh, you know it's good quality. You know where they. They get their cows fairly local. They're all raised right, and they're killed humanely. Like, if you're gonna eat meat, it's the best way you can do it to get it from a small butcher shop. Like, yeah, it's a good disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, I felt pretty good about it. It wasn't something I got at a big supermarket. You know, it's a super local business, like less than a mile from my house. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I like the way they do business, and they make good good products. They process meat really well, and uh, it's kind of fun getting to talk to the person that processes it and like you know, they can give you exactly what you want. So it's, it's pretty cool, man. It was fun. What did you do for the uh, the rub on the outside? Uh, that was just avocado oil, salt, and pepper. Really? Yeah, kosher salt and fresh ground pepper.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it was, I mean, obviously, I think you did it one one side. I mean, one side was mostly bone, but yeah. Um, I almost would have, I mean, it's such a thick cut of meat. Like, I think you probably could have done a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I, you know, the thing is, I'm always worried about over seasoning because sure. I have that, like, uh, people that cook a lot, I've noticed, use too much salt. Mm. And like I'm I'm super guilty of it. Like a lot of it's a chef thing. If you talk to like real professional chefs, like they use more salt than the average human mm-hmm. and they love seasoning. Uh, and I'm guilty of that. And usually the people I cook for Oh, is my just God.
1: My- I'm so sorry. I have to cut in. I had a dream about you. <laughs> oh, yeah? Uh, making meat with too much salt. <laughs> Oh, are you kidding me? No, I'll just give you the brief rundown because it's probably super weird. I can't remember. I can't believe that I'm thinking of this. Um, This is amazing. So, there was, okay, here, let me try to make this uh, not dream crazy. So, basically, uh, what happened, this was last night. um, What happened was there was a house concert in Chico. The quarantine was still happening. So, social distancing was part of it. And I played this show. And then you showed up towards the end um, outside in, in a truck. And you said, here's this meat, take it inside for the people at the party. So I did and I sliced it up and there was like cheddar cheese there also. So I cut that. Then the show ended, everybody left and I was so hungry and you were still there for some reason. And I was like, hey man, I just tried the meat. Like it was pretty salty actually. And you said, I'd love to try some of the meat that I fucking cooked. And so I went back inside, I got (laughs) you some and I gave it to you. Um, and that's the only part that's applicable, but the dream keeps going. Then there was a girl like probably six years old and her mom across the street and the girl wanted to play tag. So we did. And she ran into the street and we both thought there were cars coming. So we sprinted as fast as we could to try to get her out of the street, but there were no cars. Then we ran back kind of skipping, but there was like low gravity. So we jumped like 10 feet in the air. And at the end of the street was a playground that was being built. And then
2: I woke up. Nice.
1: And that was my dream. (laughs)
2: Well, and that is the the whole root of that story is that's why I don't over salt. You, you should never over salt it. it. You're right. You did so you good. You can always you can always add more. You yeah. can't take it away. Yeah. Um. I. It's like I said. The first time I've cooked ribs like that, I am gonna go heavier on the rub next time. Yeah. Uh, Cause it could have used a bit more, and it could have permeated a little bit more. Okay. Um. But yeah, trial run. Batch one, version one, like, I'm stoked with the way this turned out.
1: Yeah, I mean, did you only rub one... Because there's, like, effectively three sides of it, right? Like, the one side is just the bone, so you have like kind of yeah. the main side and, then like two others. Mm-hmm. You didn't do too much on the small sides? Uh, No. I think like that might the one, even do it.
2: And also the one that you had was from the middle. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, like, there was a rib cut off of each side of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're not... Your, your rib got like the least amount of seasoning possible. Got it. It was really good, man. Either way. I hope you took a bite out of it like Fred Flintstone. For sure I did, obviously. Did you just grab it and you like,
1: Yeah. I mean, I did like kind of the two-hand, almost corn on the cob sort of approach, but yeah, I did it. Yeah.
2: You have to. You have to. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, very lastly for you then, what, is, what do you mean cornhole on the notes?
2: Uh, yeah. I treated myself uh, about a month ago. I ordered a, a cornhole set, a competition size. Okay, cornhole set for my backyard because there are different sizes, and there is actually an acknowledged on like ESPN and shit or uh, regulation Amer- uh, American Cornhole League regulation okay. size board, uh, which is four foot by two foot by I think twelve inches high. Yeah, um, that's details that no one cares about. Well, uh, but anyways, I have a dope San Francisco Giants cornhole set in my backyard now, and I think my life might be complete. Have you used it more than twice? Uh, it showed up on my porch in a box today right before the podcast.
1: Oh, so not even not even once? I have not popped my cornhole's chair. How exciting. Are you going to do it? I mean, it's only, it doesn't matter. It's 630 tonight, so are you going to do it tonight?
2: Yeah, when we're done recording, uh, Shalina unboxed it for me and set it up in the backyard. It's waiting for me, so as soon as we're done, I'm going to go toss some bags around. Nice, dude. That's That's great
1: news. I'm so proud of you. Good job. Thank you. Have you ever played cornhole?
2: Yeah, I don't. It's not for me.
1: It's fine. I don't love it. All right. Is it because you're not good at it? Uh, that's that's irrelevant. That's not. The, I am not good at it. That's not why I don't <laughs> like it. I love bowling, but I suck at bowling. Yeah. I just don't like cornhole. It's fine. Whatever. All right. Fair enough. Okay, so I'm gonna bring things back around for my hot this week uh, to movies, and Do it. it's a movie that I think that you love. And it's I've- the original film adaptation of a novel called The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. came out in 2009, directed by, I hope I get this right, uh, Neil Arden Oplev. Um, yes. Numi Rapace
2: was amazing in these movies, all three of them.
1: Right. So, um, there. I mean, if you're hearing this, you're like, that sounds familiar. And you're in America, there's a chance that you've seen the David Fincher remake that came out in, um, uh, what year was that? Oh, it was like
2: 18, 19?
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, it was yeah. not. I think it was maybe not quite that recent, but I mean, they did then, so. So basically, it, they're it movies that are dead. adapted from novel, a novel trilogy. Yeah, and they came out and with one called "The Girl in the Spider's Web," uh, and that was like seventeen, eighteen, I think.
2: Yeah, and that had uh, Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara. No,
1: no, no. So that that's the original. "The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo" is is the one with those two, and that came out oh, oh two thousand eleven. Oh wow! Um, so that's Wait, what. Yeah, I know the the Daniel Craig one came out in two thousand eleven. Weirdly enough, I had that exact same reaction. I was like, "Could it could it be that long ago?" Uh, And it is. Wow, that came out two years after the foreign one. Uh,
2: Is that right? Maybe I said that wrong. Uh, Because the girl with the dragon tattoo, the original came in foreign language, came out in two thousand nine.
1: Yeah. Okay. Then yeah. That's then yes. Wow. We just jumped on that train real quick. Yeah, which I don't really understand. Like why? I mean, I guess so. The original one, uh, the 09 one, was in Swedish. So like I I watched it in subtitles, obviously, and it was very good, but it was very very close to the uh, the remake, the American remake. Um, yeah. but people had always been like, yeah, if you like the remake, you'll you got to watch the original. So yeah, the f- originals
2: was way better.
1: You know, I think for me, and I had the same experience. Um, well, I have this experience with a lot of uh, movies where I have to watch subtitles that are fast paced. Like you do sort of lose some of the momentum and the action when you are spending time reading the subtitles. Like I had this with breathless earlier today, like especially with the weird jump editing in that movie, like you almost lose sort of the vibe for having to read the mm-hmm. subtitles. So it did help having seen the American version. Cause I kind of knew the story already. Um, but seeing where it came from was really enlightening. And I want to watch the the next two films uh, so those are on my list. And I think if you are interested in kind of the crime noir genre, definitely go back and watch the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's it's pretty damn good. Yeah, the book's amazing too. If you've, you've read the read book? It. No, I haven't. Yeah. I thought about doing it. hmm Well,
2: okay. I have it if you want to borrow it. Is it is it the single book or is it kind of like a trilogy all in one? The No, I have just the single book, the first
1: book. Yeah, I think dude, I have all of them. Yeah,
2: I would for sure take it. Yeah, just check it out. I liked it a lot uh Lizbeth salander is yeah like a really cool character yeah yeah she's great she's a-
1: it's a pretty i mean it's a pretty um if you know nothing about this series like maybe don't watch it looking for a good time necessarily like it's yeah. pretty gritty and intense and gets pretty rapey at times and, and very gruesome and grisly so know that going in but
2: it's i think worthwhile me too man me too
1: Um, all right. Well then very lastly, this is somewhere between hot and bothered is, is a beer that you Mm -hmm. gave me that I mentioned earlier called tiger millionaire from modern times. It's a triple IPA that when I picked up the rib that you gave me, you were like, Hey, drink this, enjoy your dinner, which I thought was very nice. Um, where'd you get this beer?
2: Uh, that was a gift from Derek, uh, Paul. Okay, great. Had, had Derek had it. Do you know? Uh, I don't think so. I picked up the four-pack when I was at Modern Times, and he gave me that as a gift for picking up his beer. Gotcha. And Yeah, and uh, I just wanted you to have it because I've been given a lot of good beer lately.
1: Sure. So, it's a, yeah, it's a triple IPA from, from Modern Times. It's 10.4%. Uh, they say this. We stuffed this unbelievably tasty triple IPA with ridiculous amounts of citra and uh, citra twice, huh? Of citra and citra cryo hops. There it is. And topped that off with an extremely generous amount of Nelson. What resulted is a haze beast of the highest caliber with mouth-watering notes of citrus, tropical fruit, and white wine wrapped in a luxuriously smooth mouthfeel. Um, I'm going to say no to that. I don't think that's an accurate description. And, and the only reason mm-hmm. I'm bringing this up is because I do kind of want to read my description, if that's okay, Johnny. Yeah, do it. Because uh, you had said to me, I think you said great description. You might have used the G word. I think I did. Um, I was feeling sassy because it's 10.4%. So I wrote this of this beer. I wrote that it's mango peel and overripe orange on the nose with almost a heavy sparkle of a mouthfeel, which seems contradictory, but it's like it punches my tongue and then floats through the roof of my mouth. There's a straight-up eruption of tropical tastes, like crash landing on a beach in the Caribbean, but then right when I go to take my first breath of thanks for being alive, I get decked by a pirate wielding a bottle of booze the size of my body. It finishes super heavy, but this is one of those beers that there's enough of the quote-unquote right flavors that I'm willing to forgive the wrong ones. I gave it a 6 out of 10, since we're rating it, why not? Uh, And it was good, but I I kind of expected more from modern times. Yeah. I've just never had a triple IPA from them, I don't think. Um, Okay. And in my brain, their beers are always so drinkable and smooth that I I was hoping for less of kind of a boozy... Gut punch. Gotcha. But yeah, thank you for sharing it with me
2: because yeah, I no enjoyed
1: problem. the, uh, at the very least, the effects of it. it
2: yeah, it would <laughs> do that. That'll do that'll happen.
1: Um. Anyways, that's my hot and bothered, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about before slash if we go into the danger zone?
2: No, nah, man, I think I'm good. That was my weekend in a nutshell. Hope you had a nice three-day weekend or four-day weekend or 37-day weekend.
1: Yeah, that's that's mine.
2: Whatever day of your weekend you're on. I had three days off. It was dope. Yeah, I've had two months off, so it was dope. There you go. Um, do you want to talk about Seaberg? Any spoilers you want to cover? I mean, we can get a bit deeper into the conversation that we were having off air about just some of our problems with it, if you want. I think for people that maybe aren't going to watch it that want to hear how it was not good. Might want to hear that. Well, then let me take us into the danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone.
1: Okay. We're here in the danger zone. Uh, Johnny, kick it off, man. Where do you want to start with this? With Okay. Spoiler alert for Seaburg. If you haven't seen it, go watch it or don't. It's up to you. Spoiler yep, alert.
2: We're going to talk about it like we all just walked out of the our living The non-existent <laughs> theater. Yeah. The yeah. proverbial theaters. The, yep. The perverted theater. That's sure. right. Um, yeah, so, Seaberg, uh, a movie that could have been great that fell super short and super flat. Let's talk a little bit about more things we didn't like about it, the gripes we had, what we wish we could, it could have been. Um, I think I was pretty clear when I – I mean, my overall statement is just that, like, this could have focused on more prominent issues that it teased at dealing with, but instead focused simply just on how sad this lady was, which, like, yeah, I get it. She was having her life ruined by FBI surveillance and and things were going awry, but they wanted us to feel a certain amount of empathy for this person because the whole movie was based around her suffering and her plight and the disintegration of her universe, but we were given so little of her backstory, we have no reference as to why we should give a shit about this person, and it made me so mad because I don't like it when movies presume that I'm just going to feel bad for someone because something bad is happening, and they don't set up them as a person at all. Like, we literally meet her and see that she's a person who has a child in France with a French dude, and then within, what, five, ten minutes, she's sleeping with the Black Panther?
1: Yeah, I mean, an affiliate of the Black Panthers, to be specific. Sure. But
2: but yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But it's like we don't have much reference to go on as to why we should be deeply invested in this person, one way or another, whether we should feel indifferent or invested. There's just, they don't give us a lot to work with as far as her character development. And when this movie's based around one person and there's one important character, apparently, in this whole movie, you have to give me a little bit more than that.
1: Okay, so hypothetically, they do give you the backstory. Uh, And then she goes to America. What is your ideal version of this film? She goes there and then what happens?
2: Uh, Ideal version is that it focuses on the civil rights movement and how her contributions affect it. And if, you know, maybe more of the overall struggle and how she fits into it as a a bigger picture. Uh, And I'd like to see more involvement from the, the black actors and actresses in this movie as far as their side of the story instead of focusing on her, and then seeing the FBI surveillance take down and impact the lives of not just one white woman, but everyone that they were surveilling. They spoke a lot about all the Black Panther leaders that they were surveilling and all the activists that they were surveilling, but they only spent time displaying the ramifications that that surveillance had on one Person, And I think they could have spread that around and made it a more impactful story by showing the overarching disaster that the FBI rained down upon this group of individuals during this time period, which at the end of the movie, it was revealed that this was actually a thing that happened. They were got in trouble for it or some something like that, you know, and, you know, we saw such a minuscule representation of the damage that the FBI caused when I think it would have been much more emotionally impactful if we would have seen a, a far-reaching uh, impact. That's that's what I would like to have seen, because like they made a big deal about how much the FBI was doing, but we only saw such a small part of it, and to a person that seemed overall to have such a very little part in the civil rights movement. And maybe that's the point of the movie, is that like all she did was like write a check, and then the whole rest of her life was fucked, and that totally sucks. And if that's the story you're gonna tell, that's fine. I will watch it and I will not enjoy it very much. But it was not the story that we were promised. But if that's
1: the story you're gonna tell, that's a story about the exploitative nature of the FBI during this time period. Yeah. And it's there, it wasn't justified enough to make this story that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say like I want less of the branching out of these things. And like I just want it's like I think it seems that if you're going off the end sort of sequence where it's her and Jack sitting at the bar back overseas. And he comes like, Hey, here's what's been going on. We've here's a folder from the FBI on you. It seems like the, the conclusion that we as an audience are asked to get to is that he, which is already problematic. Cause I don't want to start any sentence about this movie with Jack. Cause it's not about him, but by the end it seems like it kind of is, um, is trying to come to her and be like, look, A, I'm asking for forgiveness kind of, and B, I'm trying to give you a resolution that wasn't exactly what the audience thought you were even really bent out of shape about. Like half of her conflict is, um, at least seemingly like the, the trauma she's caused, the people that she's affected through her actions, which maybe not first and foremost are her husband, but, um, Jamal and everybody linked to that movement and it's, it's like by the end scene, we're like, we've said even earlier in the show, like that's not the main concern. It's her own sanity. I mean, the way the movie ends is like her kind of smiling as if, oh yeah, I'm not crazy. Like the, I, I don't know. It just feels, it feels like it undercuts so many things that like you're yeah. saying could have been, could have been, um, at the front of the line here in terms of things yeah. we have to care about.
2: Seriously. Yeah. It just felt like it felt so short on like every facet that it was just what is this movie leaving me with like what's the impression I'm supposed to have you know and uh I didn't like where it ended up
1: no I yeah I mean like I mean the impression I was left with is like Gene Seberg was a vessel for me as a person watching this story to help me understand how corrupt the FBI was particularly not not in relation to the, um, uh, civil rights movement, but, but the surveillance of American people, uh, against the law. Yeah. Which is bad, but it's not, you know, like if, if somebody were asked me like, Hey, what's better like slave slavery or the government listening to your phone calls? I'd be like, well, yeah, like maybe stop slavery. I'll deal with the, I'll deal with the bugs. Mm-hmm. It, it just sets such a high stake. And it's like, we're going to ignore the the most prevalent thing and then kind of like sew a sort of loose thread around mental health and then also just kind of capstone it with, I don't know, COINTELPRO and call it good.
2: Right? Like, I mean, if the focus was the corruption of the FBI and the the war path against anyone that helped these civil rights leaders, you know, let's focus on that. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, like or make it like an all the president's men scenario where, where you like, we start to care about Jack and then even if we didn't care about him in the first place, we start to, and then the end of the movie makes sense because he kind of sheds a light on this corruption. Like make it that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I just, I feel like the ending wasn't justified at all. Like the whole final scene was very disappointing to me. Yeah. It was so forced. Yeah. I don't even think it was forced. I just think it was forced kind of implies that they cared and put in the effort to make us eat it up. And it was just like, here you go. <laughs> it was it was just kind of flopped in front of me. Like, yeah, that's
2: good enough. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it was just flopped in front of me, like yeah. forced. Like, just here, this is the way it's ending. This guy gets a redemptive arc. This yeah. chick just tried to kill herself. Like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah, man. It was,
1: yeah. uh, it, it was frustrating for sure.
2: Yeah. And then they say that, like, you know, her death just happened like she went missing for 10 days and they found her dead in a car (sighs) and it might've been suicide, but nobody really knows. Like, did they disappear her? Did she get assassinated or eliminated? Like, it's all just so vague. Like, you know, the, the woman's life really was a tragedy, which in a lot of ways it was. This story did not tell that eloquently at all. No. Yeah. It's like, I feel like her family, like living now should be upset at this movie for just not doing the best job of telling this story. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 (laughs) It's a bummer, man. I know when you send it to me and I'm like, Oh, this sounds interesting. And then I'm like, Oh, it's got like 3.4%. I'm like, (gasps) "Uh Oh
1: yeah, man. I didn't, I didn't look up the ratings. I'd watched an interview, um, probably like six or more months ago. And it was, it was Shia LaBeouf. Interviewing and vice versa, Kristen Stewart, and they talked about kind of their projects they were working on. She was working on this, and he was working on Honey Boy, I think. Mm. And and it sounded really interesting. And I think on paper this could have been really interesting. But so I, when I saw that it was on Amazon, I was like, oh, perfect! Like let's do it. I'm not even going to bother looking up kind of how it was received. And I don't. know, I'm so glad I watched it. Like I, I'm, like I, again, I'm I'm behind her in her acting, and I think this is miles better than Twilight and more ambitious. So I will support that for that reason. But I just hope she gets to work with people that uh, do do better, you know?
2: Do better, guy. Just do better. Uh, anything else? No, man. I think that's it. I uh, think we've all made it very clear how much we do
1: not like this yeah, movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you could miss it. That said, watch some French New Wave stuff. Why not? Try it out. Sure. Try it out. Give it a whirl. Okay. As usual, this show wouldn't be what it is without Bailey Minardi. That's Johnny Summers. That's Max Bernardi.
2: We'll see you next week for the newest movie. You can watch at home because we can't go anywhere because Rona. Report to we hope you
1: enjoy.
0: This is Fresh Hop Cinema.